and welcome to All There Is. I'm your host, Kelly Bargabas, and the title of today's episode is Narcolepsy is No Joke. In our last episode, we talked about invisible disabilities and that one of the ways we can make a difference is through awareness, understanding, and acceptance. And so it's with that spirit of awareness and understanding that I want to talk to you a little bit today about narcolepsy. My brother has narcolepsy. And it's not the comedic Hollywood kind that most people associate with the disease. I've experienced this even recently when I tell people that my brother has narcolepsy and they laugh. You know, narcolepsy has kind of become this running joke. And uh, apparently it's funny that people fall asleep compulsively and and that they can't help it. But, you know, narcolepsy is no joke. And Hollywood would have you believe that it is. So uh, another good reason to talk about it today, just not that we can't laugh. You know, in my family, we laugh about a lot of things. And, you know, in life in general, you have to, you know, it's either laugh or cry, right? And laughter does help you deal with difficult situations. Laughter helps you deal with the really tough things in life. So I'm not suggesting that, you know, there's never um, anything funny about narcolepsy because, you know, like I said, certainly in my family, we a little levity can go a long way to take pressure off and to alleviate the stress that a disease like narcolepsy causes. Um, So I'm not suggesting that, you know, we can't ever joke about it or that we have to be super serious. But today I want to give you some perspective and some insight and view of what it's really like. Modern Family used it as a punchline not too long ago with Phil Dunphy, one of the main characters. He had narcolepsy for an episode, which is just ridiculous in and of itself. And I know it's Hollywood and I guess we shouldn't take that so seriously. And then I believe Homer Simpson also had it for an episode, which, of course, is not really what happens. You don't get narcolepsy for a week or a day and then it disappears. You usually have symptoms for many years and it takes many years to get diagnosed properly and more years to get treatment and help. So just know that these episodic um, bouts of narcolepsy in my experience, is not it does not have any validity to it at all. There was a movie in 2019 called Ode to Joy, where the main char- one of the main characters had narcolepsy with cataplexy, and I I was really happy to see a mainstream movie like that. It was a pretty good movie. Again, it was the Hollywood version of it, which is to be expected, but I thought it went a long way in building awareness, at least, of narcolepsy. I also have this Hollywood version in my head, and I must have seen it in a skit at one time, of a man in a train station, a a comedian, and the actor or comedian, he's walking through the train station, and he stops abruptly nods his head, falls asleep, and starts snoring as he leans forward as far as he can go without hitting the ground. And then he starts and lunges backwards and goes back from the ankles without falling over and then tips sideways. And all the while, he's snoring and sleeping. And the crowd walks around him, stopping long enough just to stare and laugh. In real life, narcolepsy is not that funny. We recently experienced daylight savings time. In November, most of us turned back our clocks one hour. And in March, we'll spring ahead and lose that hour again. 
There's legislation that's currently being considered right now in our country, I believe it's at the state level, to eliminate daylight savings time because we feel it is an unnecessary and outdated disruption. This act of turning our clock forward and backwards twice a year, it temporarily disrupts our sleep patterns. And I'm sure you've noticed that when we go through this and after we do it and we're adjusting to our new schedule, we'll wake up more tired than usual, or perhaps we'll struggle at night to stay up as late as we usually do. Monday morning, we may hit the snooze a few more times. And as groggy and tired as we might feel, this is nothing compared to the excessive daytime sleepiness that people with narcolepsy experience on a daily basis. I can remember several years ago when I used to work with the youth group at my church and we would do an all-nighter. For some reason, teenagers love to stay up all night. And once a year, we would have this youth all-nighter and I was a chaperone and had to stay up all night. And that is tough. If you go 24 hours without sleep as an adult, not as a teenager, who I'm sure went home and crashed in their beds. But as an adult, to stay up all night, like you just are not right. That next day, you can't think clearly. You can't speak clearly. You know, you usually don't feel well. You get a headache. It really impacts you when you miss a night's sleep. And I I explain all of that just to try to get you to think about what you feel like when you miss a complete night's sleep or daylight savings time or any time your sleep pattern is interrupted. Perhaps you have insomnia and you're not sleeping well and you know what that feels like when you wake up in the morning. Narcolepsy is a chronic and under-recognized and under-diagnosed neurological disease that is caused by the brain's inability to regulate sleep-wake cycles. Your brain is misfiring and it can't accurately tell you your body when to sleep and when to wake up, which results in the overwhelming urge to sleep And this disease affects more than 200,000 Americans and 3 million people worldwide. Whenever my brother is still for more than a minute or two, and sometimes it's seconds, he falls asleep. He falls asleep in the car before you turn the first corner after you pull out of his driveway. He has fallen asleep while eating at the dinner table in the middle of conversations. He's fallen asleep standing at the sink washing dishes. He can even be talking to you as he sleeps or washing dishes as he sleeps. He lost a job one time because he fell asleep washing baking pans. He worked at a bakery and that was his job was to wash the dishes and he actually fell asleep while he was doing this. And this is actually a symptom in a, uh, of narcolepsy called automatic behavior. You may think a symptom of sleepiness doesn't sound all that tragic, but think about how difficult it would be to sit in a classroom or sit at a desk or drive a car or do anything productive with this happening throughout your day. It is crippling. Think about what you feel like if you go without sleep for 24 to 48 hours. You can't think straight. You can't keep your eyes open. Your body and brain shut down. Numb. This is what excessive daytime sleepiness feels like all day, every day for those with narcolepsy. Because of his excessive daytime sleepiness, my brother often slurs his words and his eyes are droopy, half open. Some people assume he's drunk or stoned or just plain lazy. He's not. This is just what he looks like and acts like with narcolepsy. Cataplexy is another major symptom of narcolepsy. 
The sudden loss of muscle tone leads to feelings of weakness and a loss of voluntary muscle control, which means that my brother can be standing still or walking or sitting in a chair and just fall over. All 225 pounds of him suddenly becomes lifeless, and he is unable to move until his legs regain their strength. He doesn't lose consciousness during these episodes, but he can't speak and he can't stop it once it starts. He has to wait it out. Cataplexy can occur spontaneously. It can be triggered by sudden strong emotions such as fear, anger, stress, excitement, or laughter. It seems to happen often when he least expects it. He has had cataplexy attacks in the grocery store, at Walmart, in the middle of the street where he fell and broke the bone that goes around his eye socket, on the bus, and at work. Now that he doesn't drive, he has had cataplexy while riding his bike and has fallen into the ditch and hit his head. And although the falls are dangerous and potentially life-threatening, leaving him with rug burns on his face, black eyes, bruised ribs, and broken bones, the worst part is not knowing when or where it's going to happen next. Hallucinations and sleep paralysis are the other major symptoms and are equally vivid and frightening. It can often take up to 10 years from when symptoms are first noticed until there is a medical diagnosis. There is currently no cure for narcolepsy, and my brother's doctors continue trying to find just the right mix of prescription drugs to keep him awake during the day and more drugs to help him sleep at night. I find it interesting that the word narcolepsy comes from the two Greek words roughly translated as seized by numbness. Experts don't know for sure what causes it. Studies have shown that the neurological disorder may be caused by a number of genetic or biological factors in the brain combined with an environmental trigger during the brain's development, such as a virus. And it's difficult for employers, educators, and loved ones to understand this disease. I've witnessed how narcolepsy has affected my brother not only neurologically, but socially and emotionally as well. It has impacted every area of his life locking him in this world where he is never quite fully awake and rarely has peaceful sleep. I've told you before about the memoir, Chasing the Merry-Go-Round, Holding on to Hope in Home When the World Moves Too Fast. And in that memoir, there's one chapter, it's called Nightmare, and it is the only full chapter in the book that I wrote from Bobby's point of view. I actually wrote it in his, you know, as if he wrote it. I wrote it from his perspective, from his point of view, and it describes one of the very worst moments of his life when his apartment burned down. There was a fire that broke out while he was asleep or he had fallen asleep. I thought I would read that for you now. It's relatively short. And just remember, this is in Bobby's point of view. Nightmare. I pulled my head up off the desk and struggled to open my heavy eyes. A distant, muffled alarm woke me up. It wasn't the song I was listening to. No, the music had stopped. It wasn't coming from outside. The sound was relentless. The air was thick. I smelled a wood stove burning. I couldn't breathe. Something was wrong. I took my headphones off and got up from the desk. I heard snapping and crackling. What was that noise? I walked out of my bedroom, turned right toward the kitchen. The wall behind my stove was engulfed in flames. I couldn't remember if I'd left the stove on. I thought dinner was in the microwave. Four hours before, I'd come home from work and visited with my neighbors for a while in the warm July air before asking my one neighbor, Matt, to take me to the grocery store. When we got home, Matt went upstairs. I went to my place right below him. 
While I waited for dinner, I went in my room, turned on my headphones, and the television. I didn't mean to fall asleep. I never did. It had been almost a year since I was diagnosed with narcolepsy. It had started about six years before that, when I was 26 or 27. I was working at the casino then as a beverage porter, making sure the server area was stocked with drinks. One night, my legs gave out, and the tray of drinks I was carrying smashed to the ground. It scared me. After that, people started telling me it seemed like I slurred my words, and my eyes were half-closed most of the time. My mom thought I was stoned or drunk. I couldn't help it, and I couldn't explain it. I didn't know why it was happening. Not long after that, I was at my mom's for a family dinner. I was laughing at a joke, and then I fell against the dryer. Then, at Dad's birthday party, when the whole family was playing kickball, I fell when it was my turn to run. It seemed to happen when I got excited or nervous, and sometimes for no reason at all. It just kept happening more and more. I went to a sleep lab at 9 o'clock for the test. I was nervous about staying there all night. When they called my name, two guys came to get me. Walking down the hallway, my legs gave out and I fell on top of them. The nurses panicked and called for help. Kelly told them about the cataplexy. At least the doctor finally saw that I had narcolepsy. I thought maybe I'd get some help after that. Hot yellow and orange flames blistered the kitchen walls, threatening me, it seemed like. Smoke filled my mouth and burned my eyes. My legs couldn't move as fast as my pounding heart or my panicked mind told me to. Move! I lumbered to the door and fumbled with the security bar propped beneath the doorknob. It took me some time, too much time, to get the security bar out and open the door. I thought about Matt. I should have tried to get him out. Should have run up the stairs instead of down. Should have tried helping him. I was mad at myself for not using my training to put the fire out. I'd been a member of the Hinsdale Fire Department. I never fought any fires. They wouldn't let me. I remembered some of the training, though. I'd ridden along on calls. But I ran down the stairs, out the front door, and into the parking lot instead. That still haunts me. I stood outside with my neighbors and watched my home go up in flames. I had a hard time understanding what was happening. I borrowed a cell phone to call my parents and my sisters. My house burned, I said. Somebody gave me a pair of sandals to put on my bare feet. My parents and sisters came right away and stood with me. We watched the firemen toss my furniture out the picture window of my apartment. Everything I owned, everything I loved was in there. The Syracuse Crunch jerseys my brother-in-law gave me. My television, my CDs, my matchbox car collection, my Hess truck collection. Everything that made me happy. The things I'd worked hard for, the treasures that gave me comfort when I was alone at night. Destroyed. I choked down a sob that tried to escape. My legs gave out and I fell. Someone said, it's a miracle his daughter wasn't there. Good thing he had that smoke alarm. I heard he had headphones on. It's a miracle he heard the alarm. Thank God the fireman got mad out. Did you see him trapped up against the window? I hope he's okay. Bobby's lucky to be alive. I didn't say anything. It wasn't the first time narcolepsy had tried to kill me. The year before, I'd worked the second shift at the hotel, cleaning rooms, and doing other maintenance jobs. It was after 11 when I made the short drive home. My eyes closed, and it wasn't long before I drifted off the road and into the center ditch between the two sides of the highway. I drove full speed into a street sign. It pierced my windshield on the driver's side where my head would have been if I'd been awake. It shot straight through the car and out the rear window. The fact that I would never drive again bothers me the most. I have to depend on family and friends for rides to the grocery store. I had cataplexy on my bike and fell into the ditch and hit my head. 
I had to start taking the bus to work, and I hated it. The young kids laughed at me when I nodded off in my seat, spilling my coffee and dropping my papers. When the driver woke me up at the end of the line and kicked me off the bus, I had to find my way home. It had been so hard for me to get my license in the first place. I didn't get it until I was back from Binghamton and in my 20s. It took two tries to pass the written test, and when I passed the driving test, I finally felt like everybody else. Now that was gone. An EMT from the ambulance checked on me. The Red Cross gave me a voucher for $100. My sisters and mother came back a week later after the fire department declared it was safe. They stepped around the holes in the floor and the soot-covered remnants of my world. They gagged on the smell of waterlogged, rotting garbage. They knew they could never get the stench or the black soot off my things. They rescued two picture albums, my metal box of important papers, and my matchbox cars. Four years later, when the landlord sued me for damages, I was questioned under oath and still couldn't remember what happened the night of the fire. They said I told the building super at the time that I'd left a pan of fish frying on the stove. The jury convicted me of unattended cooking and told me I had to pay half a million dollars to the insurance company, even though they knew I had nothing. I'd carry this debt for the rest of my life. The only debt I had. I knew I could never pay it off, but that doesn't bother me as much as being blamed. That, too, still haunts my days. In my new apartment, my sister installed fire extinguisher cans above my stove. She bought me a microwave that can bake and broil and asked me to cook everything in there, even though she knew I wouldn't. I wasn't allowed to fry fish anymore. Narcolepsy doesn't leave me alone. It hovers over me like a thief waiting to steal any chance of the normal life I dreamt of. I can't fight it, I tried. It's stronger than me. It made me sleep when I was cooking, eating, talking, working, riding in a car or on a bike or on a bus. It made people think I was stoned or drunk when I wasn't. It made me fall over when I was in a chair, in bed, standing still. It left me broken and bruised with rug burns on my face, purple gouges in my side, and black eyes. It made me see things that weren't there, taunting and teasing me, making me think I was crazy. Narcolepsy keeps me in this nightmare where I'm never fully awake and where peaceful sleep does not exist. My dream of having my own corner of the world, my grass to mow, my flowers to plant, my driveway to shovel, my home, died a little more each day. You know, reading that still gets me every time, even though I wrote it a number of years ago. And Bobby's in a much better place right now. He recovered after the fire. He's... He's on a lot of different drugs and medicine that that really do help him function, that help him stay awake. Um, but it, it's still a real struggle. And if you ask my my brother, he'll tell you, you know, what his biggest, he's got a lot of challenges in life. But if you ask him what his biggest challenge is and what has impacted him the most, he would say narcolepsy. So I really appreciate you listening to this. I really appreciate you, your willingness to learn, to become aware, to understand maybe something that you didn't know anything about. If you do have narcolepsy, you know, I think it's helpful to hear other people's stories and just to know that you're not alone. There's a campaign that's been done out there. I've seen other narcolepsy advocates, and it, and the campaign itself is called Narcolepsy Not Alone. And I think sometimes whenever, whatever we are challenged with, whatever invisible disability you might have or someone you love might have, just knowing that we're not alone is such a, a help, such a part of the battle. So I hope you got that out of today. I hope you got some awareness, some understanding. And there are many organizations fighting the good fight in this arena. Wake Up Narcolepsy is just one of them that I've 
uh, been connected to and have experience with, and they're wonderful, and they are funding really important research with scientists and doctors all over the world. I know Julie Flyger has an initiative called Project Sleep. I know you can find her on social media, and she's doing some really important advocacy and awareness building. And, you know, if you go to my website, kellybargamas.com, I do have some links on my website with some information about this. And I hope you got something useful by listening today. So please subscribe, share, or review all there is. I'd appreciate it. Take care.